0: Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. hey guys welcome back it's another week another show and i've got another great guest for you this week my guest is my friend and sometimes co-worker garen jones he is an actor he's an improviser he trained at second city chicago so yeah improvising he is no slouch he is super crazy fun to work with and there was a period of time we both We're sharing the same job full time at Disney, and at the moment, now we do not. And that's a sad thing because I really do enjoy performing with them, and I can't wait till we're able to do it again. This week, Garen and I watched season five, episode 12. It's called The Christmas Show, and the original air date was December 21st, 1983. So I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with Garen Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from across town, via the internet, it is the man, the myth, the legend, actor, funny man, improviser, writer, role-playing game playing dude guyer, and fellow podcaster. It is
1: Garen Jones (laughs) Thank you, David. That was the most complimentary introduction I've ever experienced. I'm I'm so happy to be here on the show. I'm excited uh, for the episode you've chosen
0: uh, for me today. This is going to be a lot of fun. I am thrilled. You got uh, some time away from your wife and kids. I'm I'm thrilled to see that for me you went back into the closet. I did. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Sorry. That is a Matthew Arder dream fantasy. That was for you, Matthew. You you literally are in a clothes closet there, but I am that's great good. sound,
1: especially because my wife Carolyn has a lot of hooded sweatshirts which really soak up the bounce. So <laughs> there's great and tones to wh- my voice right now.
0: That's great. And when you live in Florida, I, I can't think of anything better to build your entire wardrobe around than hooded sweatshirts. Somehow she manages to stay cold. It's impressive. I, it's amazing good for her um you have two of the offspring i believe i have two children yes yes and are they are they napping now Or did you give them nyquil or did you
1: uh no they are napping which is fantastic because my oldest is five and she's going to start kindergarten in the fall so she's not going to have any more nap time uh but she still soaks oh. it up she loves to sleep which is great you know she's growing
0: yeah well, good. So,, uh, did you watch the episode? You of got to you got I to did. watch the episode, and um let's do a little bit of business then, get it out of the way where Garen and I have just watched season five episode twelve, and it's called The Christmas Show. And that's because it's a show that takes place when, Garen, during Christmas time. Thank you. I knew you would know it. Yeah. The original air date was december twenty first of nineteen eighty three. It was written by Jerry Mayer. He is one of the OG writers, producers, developers of the show. So he's been with it since the very, very beginning. And it was directed by Asad Kelada, who is pretty much the resident director of the show and has been directing most of them as of late these last couple of seasons. Now, uh, Garen, when I texted you this, the link to this show, you came back at me and you said, is this a Christmas show? Awesome! You were excited about that.
1: Yes, because Christmas episodes are always a unique creature for a show. You know, I feel like they are, uh, they're apart from pretty much everything else. They're usually a bottle episode. So the beginning and end, you can come in like I did, not being that familiar with Facts of Life, but you can come in and just have everything given to you so you can just enjoy it.
0: Yeah, Um, it's interesting to note that a lot of times in syndication packages, they don't show the Christmas episodes because they never land on the actual holiday. I feel like I've seen every episode of the Brady Bunch a hundred times, but I feel like I've seen the Brady Christmas episodes twice, maybe. And yeah, so these are sometimes special in that they're not spoon fed to us as regularly as a typical uh, syndicated episode of the show would be. So you just sort of hinted to it before, but I always ask my guests, do you have any sort of relationship to the show? Did you at any time ever watch the show?
1: No, I caught it, I think, occasionally in syndication when I was growing up. But it definitely, you know, being this tough boy that I was, you know, I was such a macho kid.
0: Yeah. As you are a macho man.
1: Uh, A show dominated by women wasn't going to appeal to me.
0: But then the little gay boys like me, (laughs) we were just all over it. So had you ever seen an episode of the show from beginning to end before you watched this show for me? I can't definitely say yes. Okay. That's, that's great because the opinions of the people who are new and fresh to this are always fascinating, I find, for the people who have not been on this journey. Because this is the 91st episode mm-hmm. right now. We are We are fast approaching the midway point of the series because it ran for nine years, 201 episodes.
1: I think that's where a new viewer should come in, though, at least 91
0: episodes in. <laughs> not 92, not 90. Yeah, it's a sweet
1: spot right there.
0: Yeah. But as you were saying before, a Christmas episode, oftentimes it is a bottle episode. So you can kind of uh, grab onto some things because they're they're usually doing different stuff. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, uh, before we get to the microscopic dissection of the plot that I like to do every week, Garen, I always ask my guests if uh, you will allow me to put you on the spot. Could you provide a one to two sentence synopsis? of the entire show, similar to like what you might read in a TV guide listing.
1: Absolutely, okay. All the girls are excited for their holiday plans, except Joe, whose mom had to cancel on her, so the girls try to make
0: Christmas special for Joe. Lovely, that's great. That is wonderful. Absolutely. All right, well, my friend, are you ready to jump on in and start going through this episode little by little? Absolutely, I have a lot of notes. Good, good. I love that. I do. You know I do, too. This is (laughs) my sweet spot. So we start the episode at Edna's Edibles. The store is decked out for the holidays, and I have to say, it looks beautiful. It looks really good. The decoration is impressive. Edna's Edibles is already designed to look like, you know, your mom's kitchen, like this homey hug while you come in for your gourmet food needs and all that. So to take that and then bump it up the next level with just Christmas everywhere and a gigantic tree. It's just, God, uh, this is a set decoration, win times a cabillion. That's what I say.
1: Well, and they had the frosting on the tree as well. That was a really swanky tree.
0: Frosting as in like the spray snow? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that. Okay. I, not frosting from the cakes that they sell because that would be weird. It could be on there. When you're decorating <laughs> that close to a cake, <laughs> it's our new edible tree. Oh, and by the way, Garen, if you are so inspired at any point during the show, please know you are more than welcome to do your bad Mrs. Garrett impression. Oh, okay. To join me in doing my bad Mrs. Garrett impression, okay? Great. So, yes. So. What we learn as Tootie and Natalie are finishing decorating the tree is that Natalie is going to be going home with Tootie. That would be to D.C., where Tootie and her family are from. And this is technically going to be her first Christmas because Natalie is Jewish. Which I did not know. Oh, you didn't know that Natalie was Jewish? No,
1: because coming in fresh, right? So Natalie is befuddled by Christmas.
0: And I'm like, okay, so either she's Jewish or she's in a cult. Or something like that? <laughs> but yeah, no, no. She is, uh, some some might argue both, but no, no. She's just, she's just Jewish. Okay. And that is consistent. That is canon. So um, Mrs. Garrett comes in and the talk of the conversation is basically that Mrs. Garrett is going to be left there alone because all of the girls have other plans for the holidays and um it does bring up the question i ask this all the time is how do the girls juggle their work-life balance of school and helping to run this store which they have to work at to justify their housing and my thought is who's gonna run who is running the business the business isn't shutting down for a week or a month for you know the spring what am i trying to say winter semester winter session Mm -hmm. uh so it was kind of like huh interesting but very quickly the show does answer my question
1: so i i have some i have some questions right away cuz you said they're they work here in the store and they're decorating the store for christmas but they're decorating the store in the middle of the daytime and there are no customers so do they need <laughs> anyone to run this store
0: <laughs> well there have been a few plot lines where business has been slow oh and and that's why um, she's
1: working oh, and we'll get to that the merchants uh yeah. Convention or whatever they're called. The
0: Yeah. Merchants Association Association. Thing and right. All that. Yeah. The okay. the marketing Mrs. Garrett does later. Um, remember this whole setup, this show used to take place in a school Garren. And right. it was about a den mother and later a dietitian and four students at a boarding school. Well, now that Blair and Joe are in college We've had to morph the show into this, now Mrs. Garrett runs a gourmet food store, and now the girls all live with her, and the boarding school students commute for some bizarre reason.
1: Well, and it would be weird if every show didn't do it. You know, I grew up on Boy Meets World, and okay. when they went to college, their high school teacher also became their college professor. It doesn't make any sense, but that's what they do to keep the show going.
0: <laughs> I didn't know that. I, yep. d- I never watched Boy Meets Boy. You're you're quite a bit younger than I am. So we're different generations of TV here. But the thing is, this iteration of the show, the Edna's Edibles seasons, we're only 12 episodes in. That's only new as of this season. Okay. So the shop has only been open for 12 weeks or actually technically 10 weeks if you take away the two that they were getting the shop ready. So it's like... The constant talk of, you know, oh, sales are low. We need to increase our profit margin. We need to market and things like that. It's kind of like, girls, cool your jets. Wait, you're make the good food. They will come.
1: they uh, got good business sense, though. They sound like they really know what they're talking about.
0: Do they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, but Mrs. Garrett has these festive Yuletide fruitcakes. That's what she calls them. Yes. Or as I like to call them, the FYFs. And... The these this is apparently a big thing because she has made a lot of them and is expecting to sell a lot of them. And the girls even do say, Mrs. Garrett, are you're going to be OK minding the store while we for abandon you. And she's like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. And then she says, in fact, she has hired a young man to help out while the girls are gone. And Natalie, immediately, Natalie's the horny one. Natalie perks up. This is the second thing I learned about Natalie.
1: First, she doesn't know what Christmas is. Second, she loves hunks.
0: She is Jewish, and she is horny. You now know two adjectives okay. about her within the first couple of minutes of the episode. And, uh, and those are absolutely consistent. That is who she is. Uh, So the young man that Natalie is all, huh? Young man? What? What's going on? I'm presenting. And uh, (laughs) Mrs. Garrett is like, okay, young man, come in here. And in comes who? Tell us, Garen, who comes in? It's Mr. Lazzaroni,
1: the cemetery caretaker, who (laughs) doesn't have a lot of work to do during the Christmas season because they don't need company as he says, uh, so he's going to help out in the store, which I think a cemetery care worker is perfect for an empty store. He's right at
0: home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> true. And, and his justification adding to that is, he says, they'll all be there when I get back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and this is a consistent trend for Mr. Lazzaroni where every single line he gets is a laugh line. And, and very few of them are actually jokes.
0: Uh, exactly. I
1: love him in this show so much. I did. did you enjoy him? I did. I did. Ian Wolfe, I looked him up, the actor, who does look close to death in this vi- episode. Because uh, he's in his 80s. But he lived nine more years after this.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the distinctions he holds is that he has appeared in some ridiculous number like 16 different films that had all been nominated for Best Picture. And I think three of them actually won. But the thing is, as one of those actors, you look at and say, oh, I've seen him in a million things. Name one. Right. Nope. (laughs) And that's what it is. It's that he has been in little roles in big pictures. And therefore, he's just kind of he's like the app running in the background of show Mm -hmm. business. Which is great. He was
1: always working.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I thought his addition to this episode was delightful um, for how they've been trying to add younger people since the girls are getting older. We have a younger girl named Kelly that's been in a few recent episodes, and I fucking hate her and cannot wait for her to be gone. And then there's later girls going to be coming, this Australian bitch named Pippa. And it's like, wh- why were they looking to add younger kids to the show To increase the kid factor, Mr. Lazzaroni is a slam dunk. I wish he had become a regular in the show, personally.
1: I was disappointed to see he'd only been in two episodes, but then I felt fortunate that I got to see one of those.
0: We last saw Mr. Lazzaroni six weeks ago on the Halloween show. And in that, Natalie kind of played a prank on all the other girls. And hired him to be this guy that came into the shop and led the girls to believe that there had been a massacre in that very building. And there was talk of there being still ghosts of that massacre haunting the property.
1: I am so glad that that's the case because I was getting some Vincent Price vibes off Mr. Lazzaroni.
0: Yeah, Exactly. That's where you get this sort of. I say he's more like a Stephen King character mm-hmm. because he has that. He has that sort of weird main uh, inflection and dialect to his voice, and everything he says is like, "Oh well, too bad that woman was pushed down the stairs and died an excruciating death." He was just delightful because they gave him great lines. Yeah, and uh, so yes, I'm. I am all. On board, I am Team Lazzaroni all the way this episode. Let's just get that very, if I have not stated that or put too fine a fucking point on it, I love it. So, um, Mrs. Garrett is excited because she is going to be sticking around with this new young, you see what irony is, with this new young helper because she is planning to move these fucking fruitcakes and make a mint because she has put an ad in the Merchants Association flyer. Yes. They're, they're going like, to work what? together. They're finally going to take down Kmart. Yes. Yes. Which they did. Thank it. you.
1: Congratulations, 2020. The Merchants Association <laughs> has eliminated
0: Kmart. <laughs> I never thought of that. You're right. It took them a while. It took them yeah. a little while there. But they did. The Yeah. David slayed Goliath there. Uh, but the deal is... It's so funny how this is 1983 and we're talking, this is small shops banding together to beat the daylights out of essentially the big superstore, which is what Kmart was at the time. Right. We didn't even have your super Walmarts and your super targets and all that. Um, But it's so funny how even back then that was a thing. That was a trend people already saw happening and already people saw and was like, this probably isn't a good thing a few big stores that sell everything versus smaller merchants. And um, it's uh, just interesting to note, historically speaking. So then in comes Joe. She's got her mother's present and she's excited because she's going to be going back home to the Bronx to spend Christmas with her mother. Blair comes in a fur coat and they're like, oh, you must be excited to see your parents. And she's like, no, I'm going to Vail, Colorado to ski. My parents sent me stuff and money and I'm... I'm going to have the time of my life. And this is, again, where the episode was perfect for me
1: because Joe says her mom's getting her first silk blouse, so I get a pretty good handle on Joe's life. And then Blair comes in mm-hmm. in the fur coat, but she's not seeing her parents. So I'm like, okay, I kind of know where all these characters
0: are now. Yeah, well done. I mean, as far as the shorthand of this, yes, they are giving you the characters, uh, and there there also is humor in there, but it's character-based humor. Right. Yes. Um. So then no sooner do we have joe excited she leaves the room to get the phone comes back and she's upset because now her mother had um her mother has to instead this is a little bit weird here her mother has to go work at a friend's restaurant or hotel in miami right um because her bar was closing yeah her mom is working at a friend's restaurant in miami and so they asked, well, what about your dad? He says, her, her dad is driving a truck out to the coast on his Christmas break. That is weird because we never really knew her dad to drive a truck. We just saw them last week or two weeks ago. And, uh, we, sorry, last week. And his, her dad, last I knew, he was like a courier, but not a truck driver. But anyway. Um, Joe is clearly upset, but Nancy McKenna is such a great actress. She plays the levels of she's upset, but she's pretending to not be upset. But you right. can tell that she's upset. She's magnificent. And and then the last thing is she says, Mrs. Garrett, do you mind if I stay with you through the holidays? And Mrs. Garrett's like, of course you can stay here. What the fuck? Why are you even asking? It'll be nice.
1: So Mrs. Garrett is very nice to these girls. Mrs. Garrett means really well. But this is like the first moment in the sh- in the episode where she gets a lot of heat just for being Mrs. Garrett and having to spend Christmas with her. Continue. Right, because doesn't Tootie... And maybe it's a little later, but she says something like how she's stuck with Mrs. Garrett for Christmas.
0: Yes. Earlier in... You're right. This is a running joke they do, where earlier in the... Thing when she's talking to Natalie about being happy to bring Natalie home to D.C. with her because she says, yeah, she wouldn't want to have to be stuck here with Mrs. Garrett. That's where it was. Yeah. And Mrs. Garrett's like, excuse the fuck out of me. I'm paraphrasing. Right there in front of her face. Like, that's a blow. Yeah. And then, yeah. And Mrs. Garrett's like. (laughs) And Tootie is like, I I mean, stuck here in peak skill, Stuck here, like, to Tootie, it's the equivalent of being stuck at school. During the school sure. year, But no, you're totally right. That was number one of shitting on Mrs. Garrett, and <laughs> and peak Skill. and um, there are multiple points later where kind of a two a running a running joke of Tooties is saying stuck here I- in Peekskill. Not you, Miss, like not you, Mrs. Garrett. I- peak skill is what I'm I'm shitting on peak Skill, not on you. I
1: mean, she doesn't seem like a total blast, but she's very sweet to the girls, and she
0: just wants to get her fruitcakes moved. She's done everything for these girls they should be they should all be saying to her mrs garrett if you're not spending christmas with one of your sons why are you not closing up the shop and coming home with one of us Mm. that is what should be happening So mrs
1: garrett also has a family she's got boys out there
0: Mm -hmm. and an ex-husband we've met all three of them Uh, her ex-husband and her two sons. And uh, the the son that lives in Boston, Raymond, is the most established. He's the one that's an accountant and has a wife. They don't have kids yet. She's hoping they'll have kids because she wants to be a grandmother. But um, it is interesting. Like, you know, they could have even had a line like, Mrs. Garrett, why don't you come with us? And have her be like, no, no, no. This is my first Christmas as a a business owner. I want to stay here. I want to sell my fruitcakes And I want to make sure to keep the momentum going since we've only been open for 10 weeks. Right. I would have really liked that if there had been a little bit of a reference at least to, yeah, where is Mrs. Garrett's family in this big, broader picture of everybody going to spend the holidays with their families? So the next scene is up in the girl's bedroom. And Natalie is in the process of giving her record player to Mrs. Garrett to donate to the Goodwill because news came from in the previous scene that her mom is going to be giving her a new stereo. Yes. And that's what she really wanted. She's a new stereo so excited about the stereo. Yes. Now, Blair is at the table wrapping gifts and uh, we have a fascinating moment coming up, Garen. Fascinating. Mrs. Garrett is there. Tootie walks in. And says, wow, this whole entire house smells of fruitcake. And Mrs. Garrett says, I know, isn't it wonderful? (laughs) And Tootie's like, "Eh, I I wouldn't go putting it behind my ears before a date. And Mrs. Garrett says, what a marvelous idea. It will drive Walter wild. And Tootie turns and says, Walter who? And Mrs. Garrett says, Oh, uh, uh, and, uh, never mind. And then scampers out the room. And it's like, whoa. So Mrs. Garrett has a secret boyfriend that the girls don't know about. Apparently. And I don't know that we ever hear about him again. Ever? We've. I, I don't know because I'm watching the show. I'm kind of re-watching the show. I I don't have an encyclopedic memory no. of every episode. I know some bits and pieces well, that are coming down a- the road.
1: Maybe she had to break up with them because, you know, she's stuck with Joe for Christmas now. Yeah. <laughs> she has to. That's what she was excited phone. about. She's moving these fruitcakes, but also Walter was going yeah. to be
0: hanging out. So, yes, this is like we've known Mrs. Garrett ha- has dated a few men. She's had the odd boyfriend. I cited just a, a short time ago. She happened to mention in passing that. She was dropping her car off to be fixed. And so she said, then I'm going to go over and hang out at my friend Sylvia's or something. And I was like, that was literally the first point in five years we had ever heard Mrs. Garrett refer to a friend. Wow. We never had any sense that she had much of a life outside of her career and looking after the girls. Other than, like I said, a few dates here and there. Life
1: is dedicated to these girls. Like, how dare mm. you, Tootie?
0: Yeah, how dare you? Give her this little thing. Mrs. Garrett needs to get her Christmas freak on, too, just like the rest of you. But that is, I will be watching, I will be watching for any other references future to this Walter person, but hmm. um, it, it's so jarring to be like, what? Mrs. Garrett has a life outside of the shop? And and good on her. I mean, that's awesome. I wish we could have met Walter. Anyway. Um, oh shit. Did what I just tell you, was that in the syndicated version? Did you, was that in the episode you watched what I I just described? It doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, good. Then I will bring this up. You may not remember anything of what I just described because the whole part of that bedroom scene previous to now was not included in the syndicated version, which is the 22 minute episode that you get on dailymotion.com. What I just described is only on the DVDs or the full length, wherever you can find them, which is nowhere these days. So
1: you're watching those full juicy cuts. i I'm stuck with this <laughs> pared down version over here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Full juicy cuts when describing facts of life. is. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. But <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so the scene begins in the syndicated version in what you watched, Garen, with Tootie selling raffle tickets to charity yes and trying to convince natalie to buy a ticket blair says oh well i'll buy some and tootie's like oh there are these really fun prizes and uh you might win something so finally she kind of guilts joe into buying some of the tickets so-, and so joe buys them and she leaves i i kind
1: of saw this coming so because in my notes i write down the i write down the prizes that 2D mentions, the tape deck, the color TV, the home computer, hedge clippers, and then a secret bonus prize. So in my notes at that point, because I'm doing this, you know, live, I'm writing these notes as I'm watching, I write, which is obviously Joe's mom. I felt it, you know, I felt it kind of setting up this, this scene here that something was amiss with this raffle. But then I still got sucked in because 2 performance where she says things like, it's only 10 thin dimes. I was like, wow,
0: she really chewed that line out. And, and the beauty of it is when Joe leaves the room, and it is revealed between Blair and Tootie that this raffle is a ruse. Natalie's reaction is so funny because they deliberately excluded her. And Natalie's like, wait, why did not I know about this? I paid you for tickets. What the fuck? And yeah. it's a very, very funny reaction on the part of Natalie, I have to say. No, it, it's great. It's another,
1: it's another moment where now I get another piece of, of Natalie's puzzle. She's just, you know, this, she's kind of the wild card of the group.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, nope. Absolutely. And so what the whole scam is about is that it's not a real raffle, it's fake, and they're going to tell Joe that she won the raffle and that the secret main prize is an airline ticket to Miami, for which Blair will pay.
1: So they got to trick her into it.
0: They have to trick her into it. And you know, in a sitcom, when you play a trick on somebody, it never comes back to bite you in the ass.
1: Absolutely not.
0: Yeah. So then we go back to Edna's Edibles, back to the shop. And Mrs. Garrett is looking at the Merchant Association newsletter. Oh, no. In which she was to have advertised her fruitcakes. And this is apparently the only advertising she has been doing. And this is the one singular thing upon which the sale of all the fruitcakes hinges. So,
1: of course, it's going to go well.
0: Uh, And what has happened? They mixed up the ads and mixed up the information. And so now the Edna's Edibles ad is all jumbled and garbled with the ad for the puppy corral down the street.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, But what I was writing Mm -hmm. here
1: is I thought that the Merchants Association didn't make a mistake. But in turn, they were trying to uh, reinvigorate the the consumer base. By doing this whole market into eating dogs, they said these two companies are both not working. What if we kind of blended things here and people were going (laughs) for that, you know?
0: By advertising with phrases like edible puppies. Yes. And fresh schnauzers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. All right, Garen. You are being very, very kind to, to the show and to the writer of the show. I don't know that I'm that far off.
1: I don't want to skip ahead too far, but I feel like it, it pays off for the Merchant Association.
0: Oh, well let's let's see. I'm not sure I, I know where you're going with that, so let's 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 address that when we get there. Okay. Um, but the thing is Mrs. Garrett now has 82 fruitcakes and how is she going to sell them? And so she angrily she grabs her coat and just as she's walking out, Joe is coming in and she's like, Where are you going? And she says, "I'm um, I'm going to see a man about a dog but this is the point where Tootie breaks the news to Joe. You won the raffle. Yay. And so Joe says, oh, well, well, don't tell me. And she goes into the kitchen and brings up Mr. Lazzaroni. And they're like, what are you talking about? She's like, oh, the-, the raffle tickets I bought you, I gave to him. So whatever, whatever I won, actually he wanted. So tell him. Bye. And they're like, no, 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 no. And they hand her an envelope and she hands it to him. Doesn't even look at it doesn't even look at it yeah because joe is obviously such a good person that she's
1: like oh mr lazaroni might appreciate you know a home computer so maybe he'll win yeah
0: exactly so he looks at it and he's like well it's an airline ticket to miami i hear miami's crawling with rich widows i'll need my suntan oil (laughs) mr Lazzaroni's wonderful I, I want to see horny Mr. Lazzaroni in a speedo. Horny Lazzaroni. By the pool. That's the show right there. <laughs> in a speedo down in Miami, lazing by the pool, and all the rich widows just fawning. I would, I would pay money to see that. Oh, yeah. I would totally pay for that movie, TV series. Um, Netflix, get on that. Would you please? Thank you. Um, so they try to cover it up. Blair tries to say that the tickets non-transferable, blah, blah. Finally, they have to come clean. And Tootie says, Well, we felt bad. And Joe is like, Why would you do this? And Blair says, People do that for other people. And Joe says, No. Rich people do that for poor people. Mm-hmm. And whereas the um the original uh the original raffle was presented as, "Won't you buy raffle tickets to support some of Peak neediest families?" Yeah, I I cringed a little bit, um,
1: because yeah, that was that was I felt like that was very short sighted on on Tootie's part there to make that the purpose of the raffle. Yeah, because uh, it really kind of just it drove it in a little deeper for Joe. I mean, we all saw. Once you knew what the setup was, we all saw what was going to happen. Joe was not going to be happy about this. So I did appreciate that there was only a small, quick scene with Mrs. Garrett between the setup and the finale on this. So we got to that quickly, right?
0: Mhm. As yeah. opposed
1: to drawing it out for the rest of the episode. Um, so th- then, it, you know, obviously it goes better places from there. But yeah, they they just rubbed it in Joe's face. And I know they didn't mean to, but it was maybe yeah. because they rushed this plan apart together so quickly
0: possibly. But the thing is, this is where it really comes back to bite them in the ass because Joe's final word before she storms out of the room and off to the commercial break is she says, I'm not one of Peekskill's neediest families. Stop it. Mm -hmm. And out she goes fade to black. And, um, yeah, you can't, you you could always fault Joe a little bit for her excessive pride and for her, um, her desire to stand on her own two feet and not accept handouts and certainly not handouts from snotty people like Blair who might lord it over her. Right.
1: Well, I could but, tell that Joe was tough because she had a ponytail and a plaid shirt.
0: <laughs> That's all I needed. I call that a lumber Jill. Sure. <laughs> Darren. Um, yes. And, uh, so here's the thing. One one last thing before we go to the commercial break here is I meant to tell you at the beginning, one of Matthew Arter's most common um, approaches to this show. Matthew Arter has said many times that the show is much richer and much funnier if you watch it assuming that Edna's Edibles is actually a drug front. Mm-hmm. So you could say, you know, Mrs. Garrett, you know, why aren't you going to close up the shop? Why are you going to be here alone? It's going to be like, um, I'm going to make $40,000 in cocaine <laughs> sales over four days. Cannot pass up that kind of capital, kids. Well, I didn't want a tangent
1: too hard, but as soon as I knew it, it was called Edna's Edibles, of course, that's where my mind went.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an unfortunate term that um they used then that has taken on a different meaning now right garen we are now at the commercial break and during the commercial break i like to take some time and get to know my guests better oh wonderful if you allow me to get a little bit of a quick travelogue through your life and your career and what brought you here to orlando let's start with um garen where were you born i was born in
1: Westchester, Illinois, and moved to Downers Grove, Illinois, when I was four years old. Downers Grove, Illinois, home of Denise Richards and the comedian Emo Phillips.
0: Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Are you related to them? Not at all. No? Did you do the 23andMe? You sure? I have not done that. It's possible, Uh, I suppose. Okay. Okay. All right, just saying. That's very cool. That's Illinois. Is that close to Chicago or a other city? Yeah, it's about 40-minute drive to Chicago. Okay. And uh, where did you study the
1: Theatra? I went down to Eastern Illinois, which is um, Central Illinois, Charleston. Um, right? Charleston is neighbored to Mattoon, Illinois, which is one of the meth capitals of the country.
0: Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Edna's Edibles.
1: Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Eastern Illinois, I went there because they promised a brand new theater space by my junior year of college. The theater space opened two years after I left. Don't! I did plays, but I really got into comedy when I was in college. You know, I did, I was on a terrible improv team, which is actually uh, where I got to know my future wife, Carolyn. Uh, we went to oh, school I together. didn't
0: know that. That's where you met Carolyn. Oh. Yes, I
1: did. We met in college. Um... We were kind of uh, on and off a little bit in college. We got together afterwards.
0: Cool. Now uh, every college has uh, improv teams with terrible names. Yes. Was yours? Was yours an improv team with a terrible name?
1: Yes. We were Hello Dolly, but it was spelled D A L
0: I. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That's amazing. That is incredible. And then uh, where did you go after that as far as performance-wise, which eventually landed you here in Orlando?
1: I spent four years in Chicago after college. I did improv. I did sketch comedy. I was on a couple of different groups. I worked at a plaintiff personal injury firm during the day. Mm -hmm. And in 2011, I moved to Orlando. I didn't have a job, uh, but uh, Carolyn and I were about to get married. And she was a teacher. She still is a teacher. And so the transfer was easy for her. And we just wanted to take a shot. And I actually came down to Orlando with the hopes of joining the Citizens of Hollywood. Wow. Which ended up working out for me the next spring. Wow. But yeah, because we, we went on a vacation in 2010. And I watched a performance of the Citizens. And uh, like, I distinctly remember Jamie Lynn as Evie Starlight. How do you not know? You know the blonde character? Yeah. Um, and I was like, "This is an improv group. These are improv people." So I got to go try it. I was end up. Uh, I was Scooby Doo at Universal for a little while.
0: Oh yeah, I, I, getting... I knew you had done Universal before you before you did Disney. Yes, and and you did Poseidon over there too, didn't you? I did Poseidon. I did Disaster before that closed. Oh, that's right. We both did. I forget. That's where. That's kind of where our paths first crossed. Was Disaster. Yep. That's right. So you came down. You you came to Orlando saying, "I want to be." an actor and make a living here. Did you pick Orlando because you knew there were opportunities here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. After our vacation, I, I just started looking at universal and Disney. I was like, there's a lot of here, a lot here for someone with a, with an acting background. You know, it looks like you could just do this as a full-time job, which I hadn't mm-hmm. even considered that up until then. You know, I think I was working at the law firm and, and hoping maybe something would work out for me at, at second city, but it's such a small percentage of people that could do that. And you have to, um, You have to sacrifice and you have to put in your time and you have to kiss so much butt and you have to go on, you know, tour groups at Second City just to get a shot at anything. And even then it might not happen. Right. Yeah. And we wanted to start a family. We wanted to get married and and actually have a real life. So that's what I was hoping Orlando would have for me.
0: And just last week, Catherine Stillinger, our mutual friend, co-worker, um, she was just saying the same thing about how she was like, I don't know how I can be an actress and also raise a family without having a nine-to-five job. Right. And she was like, wait a minute. There is a place where if you are lucky enough and if you are talented enough, the nine-to-five and the acting can intersect. Yeah. So, yes, you have your wife and your kids here now, raising them, still earning a living. You are still uh, at Disney full-time these days. Yeah, I'm at Frozen now. Frozen sing-along. And the other thing, Garen, is you are very much into the, I believe the term is RPG. That's the, the term the kids use for role-playing games? Yes. yeah. But- such as the Dungeons and the Dragons. That's
1: right. About five years ago, I discovered Dungeons and Dragons, and it's the greatest game in the world, David. I think you would love it. I know it's especially tailored to actors. I play with Philip Nolan. I play with Travis Finlayson. I play with Rolando Ramos.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm aware of that, and I've I've discussed it with you and the others. And from what I hear... It sounds like they all require an incredible amount of work and preparation and effort. And those are three things I try to avoid whenever I can.
1: David, if you ever wanted to play D&D, if we're ever able to see each other in person again, um, I can promise, as the person who knows all the rules for the game, you could sit down, tell me who you want to be, and then you could just be a little actor and do your thing, and I'll just tell you when to roll dice. Okay, I might just take you up it on It can that. get boiled down to that amount of simplicity. And then everything else is just make-believe.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's the most appealing way I've had it ever presented to me before. Um, so you used to do a podcast about this very subject, I understand. I
1: did. I did a podcast for two years with my brother-in-law, Carolyn's younger brother, Dan. Uh, we did D&D Character Lab. Every week we created a new character, and then we argued over who did a better job. Oh, Um, because one of the lovely things about D&D is there's a a ton of character creation possibilities with mixing your race and your class. And then uh, they actually have an open system where you can create new content and sell it as long as you don't infringe on certain copyright rules, which are pretty easy to get around. Oh, so that show's done. Um, uh, I'm actually working on a a new podcast um, that'll air on September 1st, and it's called Channel 34, and it is sketch comedy. And a lot of my friends are going to be on it. Uh, David, I have a part that I'm working on for you that you'll be on, and I'm sure you're going to be on it more than <sighs> once because very often, once I send someone one email to record something for me,
0: I say, "Oh, could you also do this?" When you approached me with something sketch-related podcast, I was like, "I'm in. I want to do it. Yes, yes, please."
1: It'll be twice weekly. It'll be on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week because it's it's very much short form. Quick episodes.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to hearing it and uh, participating. And uh, I will put up information on the webpage and in the show notes for how people are able to find you. You're a thank you. And uh, Garen Jones, enough about you. Okay, done. We need to get back to the facts of life. Right. So, One of
1: my favorite moments after the commercial break here.
0: What, so t- tell it, you describe it, and I'm going to take a sip of water.
1: Okay, so we come back And a customer is in Edna's Edibles, the first and only customer that I've ever witnessed in the shop. (laughs) That's true. True. He is devastated because he read this ad and he came and he came for a schnauzer. So he does not Mm -hmm. want a fruitcake. And he throws a fit and leaves when he finds out that they do not sell what I'm assuming edible puppies. So the Merchants Association was successful (laughs) in tricking this one man
0: who wanted to come eat a schnauzer. And unfortunately, he hates fruitcake. Hates now. Had maybe if the plan wouldn't have backfired quite this much, if maybe if he was a person who happened to like fruitcake and who happened to want a schnauzer, wandered in, he might have walked out with one of those fruitcakes. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're right. There was maybe there was a method to the madness of this uh, merchant association, Garen. I I looked this guy up. Did you look this guy up? Uh, He has been on the show before. This is his second appearance. So I looked him up the first time, but you go ahead. You talk to me. Tell me what you found.
1: So you've already announced this all to your listeners. I was amazed that this guy's the screenwriter. I know! Newsies, Anastasia, Tarzan. I mean, that was fantastic.
0: Lion King, Hunchback. Yeah. And of course, probably the greatest work of his entire writing career, 102 Dalmatians. Which ties back
1: to wanting to eat a schnauzer. Oh my God. Garen! I didn't even
0: think about that. Yeah. Holy shit. The
1: man's got dogs on the brain. Very, very impressive career there. And uh, I'm so glad that I looked it up because I actually have a a little habit of when you see someone who only has one line in an episode, I really like to watch that line. I really like to see, do they feel like they nailed that line? And then I like to look those people up very often and like, see, who (laughs) are you? You know, how did you get onto this show for this one line?
0: So then Mr. Lazzaroni comes in. He's dressed as Santa Claus and he's out, Trying to sell fruitcakes dressed as Santa. I don't know if he's going door to door. Could you imagine a Santa? Hello there, ho ho ho. And wondering he's like, if you want to purchase a
1: fruitcake. He's he's lazily wearing the costume. He's kind of shuffling.
0: Yeah, and and it's and the, there's the visual joke of the fact that he is like the like bean. He looks like a Scooby Doo character. Oh he yeah, he's just like a bean pole. And so to have him in the Santa costume. So, yes. Um, So, yes, this is unfortunately a, (laughs) forgive me, a fruitless effort to sell these (laughs) fruit cakes. (laughs) You see what I did? That was so good. Anyway, um, Tootie and Natalie try to apologize to Joe, blah, blah, blah. Tootie and Natalie attempt to apologize to Joe. Natalie's worried she's not going to get the stereo. They do a little shtick with her sitting on Mr. Lazzaroni's lap like she's act- asking Santa. It doesn't really land. I thought I'm the lap scene was kind of problematic. And so continue.
1: They could have. I mean, of course, it could have been a lot weirder, but they give you this, this light comedic Is this a is there sexuality to this exchange, right? They they do hint Mm -hmm. at that. They give you that. Which I don't
0: think should factor into this scene at all. I don't No. And you're kind of like they've never made a fat joke about Natalie. But when you have things like did somebody somewhere think, wouldn't it be a funny visual to have skinny Mr. Lazzaroni sitting down and Natalie on his lap? Yeah. You know, you know, Natalie on his lap. I I don't know, but yeah, it just didn't land for me. And it really just felt like a lot of filler until the moment of Mrs. Garrett running in saying a package has arrived. Natalie, you have to come and sign for it. Oh, so clearly her Christmas gift has arrived. So it's like, Oh fuck this. Fuck you, Mr. Lazaroni. I'm out of here. My presence here.
1: Absolutely. I thought the same thing. I was like, well, that scene didn't have to happen now.
0: No. And when it comes to the stuff they edited out for the rerun a little part of me is like, this could have come out without any incident or problems, as opposed to that scene with Mrs. Garrett uh, admitting that she may or may not have a little something-something on the side. Mm-hmm. But um, no, but the other way, you would have lost Mr. Lazzaroni. And I'm like, oh, you know what? True. If When it comes to Mr. Lazzaroni, more is better. <laughs> yes. So then we go straight into the living room now. And Natalie opens up the big package, and it's not a stereo. What is it? It's a warm coat. As opposed to a cold I, coat? The, the word warm, I was so confused by that. Yeah, they more than once they said, it's a warm coat. It's, it's a warm coat. <laughs> As opposed to like a purely
1: fashionable coat? I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. The, yeah. yeah the, I, I'm not sure what it is, what that's about either. But anyhow, uh, so Natalie is understandably disappointed. So she puts on the coat and she does mention that her mother always writes a poem. So right. the mother had written a poem about the coat, but then as she puts the coat on, reaches in the pocket. And what's in the pocket, Garen? Another poem that she's getting a stereo. And it's waiting for her at home. Hallelujah. It's a Christmas miracle. Natalie's story is over. All is well and good. And the crowd goes wild that this character gets a stereo. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It was like, whoa. I, I've always said they must have had one hell of a warm-up host for this. Because yeah. there are certain episodes where stuff is landing like, like no tomorrow. And you're like,
1: really? Was, was it really that funny? Absolutely. These people were really invested.
0: Uh, it, it's very, very uh, strange, but who cares? It all turns out good for Natalie. That's yeah. good. So, thankfully, Natalie's got her coat on because suddenly, within a, a nanosecond, we're in the swirl of well, time for us to go. Yep. let's grab your luggage, grab you, go. It's like oh, we were just we were just wasting time sitting on Mister Lazzaroni's lap when we should have been getting our shit together Hacking. and ready to go out the door. Exactly. So that was a little odd. I actually had to back it up. Because I was like, did, did I miss, was I, did, did I have a stroke or something? But it very quickly turns to just Blair appears with a lot of luggage, mm-hmm. rich person with a lot of luggage, comedy evergreen. Of course. Just saying. Uh, and this is where Tootie gets in line. Yeah, we let's get going. We don't want to miss the train and get stuck here in Peekskill. Poor Mrs. <laughs> Garrett. But they all go, they all say goodbye, there's all hugs and all that stuff, and we leave Joe alone. Yeah. And someone in
1: the audience yep. is coughing several times while they're walking away, and it's supposed to be a real somber moment.
0: Yeah. It's like, shut up. <laughs> Joe kind of looks around, kind of like, ah, oh, well. And then she starts singing, When I was young, I never needed anyone. And no, was that in my that was in my no, no, imagination. Was, yeah. Sorry. So then we go back to Edna's Edibles for the last scene of the show. And uh, the schnauzer guy, Mr. Bob Zutiker, is back, and he's purchasing four fruit cakes. It's a Christmas miracle. It is. And when asked, how in the world did you get him to buy those fruit cakes, Mr. Lazzaroni? And he says, oh, it's just salesmanship. And they're like, what do you mean, salesmanship? And he says, well, simply describing the ingredients. Including whiskey. Oh, okay. So he can't get a bottle of whiskey and drink alone like the rest of us do on Christmas. I, I a don't,
1: don't know that alcohol burns off in the cooking process.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's just so weird. Yeah. But anyhow, it's it's bless their heart. You almost wish that he hadn't said. Customer guy hadn't said explicitly. I hate fruitcakes. Right. It would have been more interesting for him to say, I, I don't want fruitcakes. I want a schnauzer and then walk out. I want to eat a dog, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, there were there were many questions over how, I mean, I like that the customer came around and that we sold fruitcakes. Right. And that Mr. Lazzaroni is earning his keep. That's the other thing that's nice about all of this going on. It's just weird how they kind of tried to tie all those things together. But, um Mrs. Garrett, unfortunately, selling of those four fruitcakes isn't going to make a dent. She's still got too many, like 50 of them. And we get the great line, Some Christmas, I'm in the red instead of the green. And then she goes to pay Mr. Lazzaroni.
1: Yes, he won't accept the money. He wanted to just give the fruitcakes to the other people at the home. And Mm -hmm. if I may, he has a line here where he said, these girls are a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughs. And at my age, laughs are harder to come by than money. And the audience laughs at this line. But I thought it was actually a pretty sad thing to say. (laughs) This man was just grateful to have some fun during the holidays. And everyone's like, oh, he's so lonely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So perhaps these people were
0: a bit too amped up for the taping. Again, that warm-up post, man, just I want to know who the it. fuck it was. <laughs> but you're right, that would have been that... I mean, I feel like there was some kind of an... Oh, There was that kind of a moment somewhere. But I honestly think, Aaron, part of it is just that he is so likable. Yeah. He's such an interesting, different ingredient being thrown into this show. It's it's unfortunate. I really wish they could have found a way to keep him. I wanted more of him. I wanted more of Officer Ziacus. Uh, the policeman from a few weeks ago. I, I I would have loved more of them and less of fucking Kelly and Pippa. Ugh.
1: You really heard about Fuck that? Fuck those kids. Ugh.
0: You you haven't seen the episodes. Garrett. No, I have. Not. I'll make no. sure you do. I'm not in future. Next time. It's <laughs> time to have them on. But yeah. Uh, so um, so suddenly the fruitcake problem is solved. She still makes him take the check to pay him even though he's like nope all i want are the fruitcakes and i will donate them and she even says what a great idea and she says (laughs) thank you for reminding me about the true christmas spirit oh that was that i think is the first line in the book of christmas sitcom cliches really and truly
1: oh absolutely
0: yeah but um then at this point the shop is closed uh mrs garrett's there joe is there and so they're like okay are we gonna get ready to to do some serious christmasing yes we are what they're gonna what are they gonna do garen
1: they're going to have some christmas burgers and listen to music
0: yeah joe puts and, on some uh,
1: royalty-free christmas music <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a stocking for Joe, which apparently was made just in case she was orphaned for Christmas that we had. I guess we had a stocking for her. And or Joe they filled it to, up
0: in the brief time that that they knew she wasn't going home. That right. was
1: sweet. They
0: moved very quickly.
1: And Joe's going to she sets the, the coffee table because I assume they're going to eat burgers on the coffee table. Yeah. And and while Joe's there, you know, we get we get Blair coming back in around behind her to sneak up to show her that, oh, I decided not to go get drunk for Christmas. She had two places that she could have gotten drunk, but instead she wanted to stay here with them. Does she say drunk? She she says, um, go to cocktail parties or get a, into oh. a drunken brawl on the slopes.
0: Yeah. So Blair was planning on alcohol being a very important part of this Christmas. Right. And uh, you know what, Garen? I think I know Why? Why? When Megan Maroney was on the show a few weeks ago, they went out to a bar where they were all drinking. And Megan's first question is, how are they able to drink? How old are Blair and Joe? I was wondering the same thing. Here's the thing. Blair and Joe are both 19, and the National um, Drinking Age didn't turn to 21 until 1984. Wow. I didn't know it was that recent. So this is literally their last hurrah blair might have been thinking um i'm 19 and i'm about to have a two-year moratorium on alcohol so i better get all my drinking in now before the new year while i can should rip it up yeah so there we've justified it but the fact that blair comes back and um there is this moment for for all of those people who are Uh, highly attuned to the the lesbian overtones of this show. Uh, Here's the funny thing, Garen. I remembered this episode. I hadn't seen it in a long, long time, but in my brain, all of them came back. It was, we are all going to be a family and be together. And so uh, my memory obviously was wrong. So when the episode ended that it was just Blair that came back, I was like, well, here's another big one in the lesbian column for the whole thing of, the you know the blair and joe moment of oh wow wh- wh- what are you doing here oh you, you know i just thought i'd come back you know and be here with you guys and you know if there were
1: a pair to hook up it's those two of course absolutely
0: <laughs> in the fantasies of many many young ladies
1: now what i thought was weird after blair showed up is that mrs garrett comes back in the room and she is over the moon that blair is oh. back not nearly as excited that she was going to be spending Christmas with Joe, but the fact that Blair's back, Mrs. Garrett is like, this is amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She throws her hand towel into the air. And runs over. With Joe, it's like, okay, let's eat burgers, I guess. Yeah. But Mrs. Garrett's like, oh, Blair. It's, it's like, I didn't just see you two hours ago. Very, very. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because this is a lovely moment. This really is a lovely moment where it's Blair saying you guys are like, I'm not I'm not going to be with my family anyway. And you guys are my family. It would have been really nice if you know that, you know, the wise old sage kind of uh, archetype where wouldn't have been fun for Mrs. Garrett to walk in and just go, oh, Blair, whatever are you doing here? And have Blair be like, I just thought I'd, you know, be here. I think Blair makes a joke because, you know, there's no place like Peakskill for Christmas. Right. You know, to tie up Tootie's joke and everything. But wouldn't it have been fun if Mrs. Mrs. Garrett had played it kind of like, oh, well, I guess we'll get another burger for you. Kind of a, I didn't think you were going to go skiing. I knew you would want to be with us. Right. You didn't know it. Even you didn't know that you would rather have been with us. But I knew that. I would have loved it. That 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 would she would have been like a Santa Claus right there, mm-hmm. really and truly.
1: And I wouldn't have ran into this moment otherwise. But you know, you tasked me with watching this episode with a very scrutinizing eye. Please scrutinize away. So when I watched that moment, I said, "Ah, oh, that sucks for Joe." <laughs> Any other final thoughts on this before we we wind this up? Uh, no, like I said at the beginning, I thought it was a perfect bottle episode. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like I I was not lost, you know, uh, throughout anything that was going on with these characters. I was able to jump right into their world. Um, I feel blessed that I got a Mr. Lazzaroni episode.
0: You were blessed. That is true. You are welcome. Yeah. Thank you. you. (laughs) So, yeah. So it ends with all of them going to enjoy kind of their first family Christmas together and this is their first time living together as adults too. Uh-huh. This is this is kind of a big moment, a little bit bigger I think even than the show might realize in that, you know, Blair and Joe are not high school students under her watch. She's not their guardian anymore. Right. They're actually more equals and friends now. Right. So uh yeah, no, it's a lovely episode. It really is. Flaws aside for how much I always, you know, for the 150,000 criticisms that i make and how often i shit on it yeah. honestly i did like this i like this episode a lot
1: yeah well hopefully hopefully i, I got that across i mean I, I i have of course i came in here thinking okay i need to be i need to be a dickhead but also well
0: <laughs> oh, you were garen don't worry you were
1: okay good thank you david you get you get me and i think that's why you invited me on
0: <laughs> so uh, with that and with the end of the episode, Garen, the last thing I like to do with my guests is before we go, uh, just for nostalgia purposes, throw yeah. out throw out a classic commercial, a commercial you like or you remember off the top of your head. Give me a commercial. Absolutely, it's Pure Moods New Age
1: compilation album. Okay, this aired all the time in the '90s, and it was like Enya, and. Um, there was another big band on there, but then there would, there would always be this one part where it would go, hey, 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 and you're watching images of the ocean and psychedelic colors blending <laughs> across the screen. And then they want you to spend 20 bucks on this, on this CD.
0: Okay. I've got to find this
1: on in the nineties.
0: I, I got to find this on the YouTube. I will post it on the episodes webpage.
1: It's very easy to find on YouTube. You'll get it right away.
0: Okay, good. Garen, our time together has come to an end. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so sad. It's been so nice to see you
1: again. Wow. Well, this is wonderful that we got to do this. Thank you so much for having me on the show. This is a very fun show.
0: Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Smooches, my dear, and goodbye. Goodbye, David. And there you have it. That was Garen Jones. He was awesome. He is awesome. Again, I miss him. I miss performing with him. We got to get out of this pandemic, number one, and then we got to figure out a project we can work on together really soon. I look forward to doing his podcast, and I will certainly clue you in when those start to drop and how you can be a listener to those as well. So next week, we're going to be watching Season 5, Episode 13, called The Chain Letter. And you can watch the episode for free at DailyMotion.com. And I'm going to post the link in the show notes. And you can also find it at this episode's webpage. That's all for now, guys. As always, thank you so much for tuning into this week's show. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash FaceTheFactsPod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.